Today we're going to continue our series of messages. It's a mini-series on the subject of prayer, which Pastor Dave introduced last week, and I appreciate so much his introduction uh, to the sermon today. And, uh, but our passage that we're going to be looking at today is in Luke chapter 11, so you might be wanting to turn it uh, to that particular word. Let's bow for a word of prayer first, shall we? Our Father, we have such a great privilege of looking into your word each and every week as we gather on the Lord's Day here in our fellowship in this wonderful facility that you've provided. And as we look into it today, Lord, I pray that it will not return your void as you promised. And I pray, dear Lord, that uh, as I give forth the word, that your spirit will guide it and help me to bring remembrance the things that you have taught me. And I pray that we'll come before you with open hearts as your word goes forth. We just give these few precious moments to you. Thank you for the worship time that we've had. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the fondest memories that I have of my dad growing up on the farm, getting up late, oh, kind of late at night to go to the restroom. And each and every time that I would do that, I had to pass by the living room, and I would see my dad standing in the middle of the living room with his hands folded, praying. And uh, my dad was my hero, you understand. Uh, He was a big, strong man, had been a farmer all his life. Uh, uh, Shoulders, very strong, narrow down here, but big up here. And I'll tell you that I decided that if my dad needed to pray, I needed to pray. Shortly after I graduated from high school, my dad met, or went to be with Jesus in a car accident. And I had to take over the farm. I had two younger brothers and my mother. And while everything seemed all right on the outside, inside I was very angry at God because my dad loved the Lord and he would witness for the Lord everywhere he went. In fact, he was up at a neighbor and was witnessing to him. And coming back, he had his accident. I saw him pinned underneath the car. And it had a profound effect on me, and I was so angry at God. How in the world could you do this? And so I kind of drifted away from God and went into the things of the world. I come in at the wee hours of the morning, and to get, or to get to my bedroom, I had to pass through my, uh, by my mother's bedroom. And it didn't make any difference what time I came home. I would glance off to the side and I'd see my mom kneeling by her bedside and praying. And I knew full well that she was praying for me. And later on, my mom came as she got older. She came to live with us for nine years. And one of the most treasured pictures that I have, you see, up on the PowerPoint. This was taken about a week or two before Jesus called her home to be with him. She was 93 years old. And it didn't make any difference uh, every night for nine years that if I went back to her bedroom, I'd find her in this position. And she would be praying. And she didn't pray for five minutes. I could go back a half hour later, and she's still praying. And she would bring the church that she loved. 
She'd bring her family, and sometimes I'd come over by the wall and I'd listen. You see, I'm, I'm very thankful for the legacy of prayer that my mom and my dad left me, and not only occasional prayer, but continuing in prayer. It just wasn't a once-in-a-while occasion for them, but they prayed every, every day. I remember my dad leading us in prayer early in the morning. We'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and by 8 o'clock, my land, we've had a day's work done, but we'd come in for breakfast, and my dad would be drinking his coffee and eating his breakfast, and then we'd always have a moment of devotions, and he would lead us in prayer. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus gives this mandate that we should always pray and not lose heart. The NIV says, not give up. The Apostle Paul said the same thing, much the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are to pray always. And in Ephesians 6, 18, he says, be alert and always Keep on praying. Those are just a few of the passages that the Bible has, and boy, you can find a lot of them where we are exhorted to not just pray once in a while, but it is to be a habit of life. It is to be continuing. Now, in my opinion, that phrase, not losing heart in Jesus' mandate, is one of the biggest struggles that I find in my own prayer life. <clears throat> And I'm sure you probably find in yours too. There's a lot of reasons that I could give, but I probably think the basic one is that, you know, we have a request and we pray for it or somebody asks us to pray for them and we pray and we pray and we pray, but we don't see much action. You might be praying for a loved one and you've been praying for them for years, but, you know, just nothing's happening. There's no movement. And so we kind of get discouraged and we kind of lose heart. And we stop our praying. And the problem is, is not that we're not praying. As Christians, we're praying. It's what I call losing heart. It's the continuing in prayer and keeping on, keeping on. So how can we follow Jesus' mandate in Luke 18, 1? to pray always and not to lose heart. Well, Jesus answers that question for us in his mandate that he gave. He answers us, uh, that question in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, which is our text for this morning. And in that particular passage, he provides us with four fundamentals that we are to practice in carrying out his mandate. The first fundamental you'll find in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11, and that is pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as you taught your disciples. There was something about Jesus praying that prompted that disciple's question or request. You see, Jesus was a paragon of prayer. 
Because as he was watching Jesus praying, and I'm sure that wasn't the first time he watched Jesus pray, there was something different about Jesus praying. Something unique about it. Because all the disciples were used to seeing and praying was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were people of many words coming from the head, not from the heart. They just rattled off a lot of prayers in public places because they wanted to be seen as being holy men. And with Jesus, when Jesus prayed, there was something different. They felt the presence of God when he prayed because it was from the heart. There was an aunt by the name of John Hyde. He was nicknamed Praying Hyde. And he was called the Apostle of Prayer. And the incident is told, he was around the turn of oh, the 1900s. And uh, he was a missionary in India, but he was also a preacher of the gospel. He traveled worldwide. But he was given that name, uh, that nickname, Praying Hyde. The incident is told of one time, on occasion, he was called into this particular room to pray about an incident. And so Praying Hyde came into the room, and he closed the door behind him, and there was a bunch of people gathered there in the room. And as he gathered him, he came into this room and closed the door. He suddenly just fell on his knees. And all they could hear him say was, Oh, God. Oh, God. And the people who testified as they heard him praying, they felt that they were in the very presence of God while he prayed. And that's all he said. That's all he said. My friends, that's sincere praying. It's called praying from the heart, not necessarily just from the mind. There's an incident, too, an illustration of that in the Old Testament about King Jehoshaphat. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The enemies, the armies of three nations that were enemies of Israel were coming towards Israel to make war upon them. And the army was many, many thousands. And King Jehoshaphat was alarmed because obviously he knew that there's no way his army could take on that army and win. So alarmed, you know what King Jehoshaphat did? He was a godly man, a godly king. He called the nation to prayer. Amazing, isn't it? Wish people or some of our leaders would call our nation to do that today. Sometimes they do. But he called the nation to prayer. And he leads the nation in intense prayer. You can understand why of the intensity. And part of his intense prayer, he said, Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And God sends a prophet to Jehoshaphat, and he says, Jehoshaphat, get your army ready and go to meet your enemy. I'm going to give you victory. And Jehoshaphat, through prayer and through faith, he brings his army together. But it was amazing, he didn't put his best fighters at the front of the army. You know who he put in the front of the army? The singers of the temple. 
They led the army, and as they marched towards the enemy, the singers sang praises to God and gave praise to God, and they worshiped God as they went out to meet the army. And before they ever got there, suddenly the enemy, the army of the enemy, turned towards one another and started killing one another. And before Jehoshaphat ever got to the army, they were destroyed, and the rest of them were running. And God gave Jehoshaphat a great victory that day without raising a hand. But you see, Jehoshaphat's prayer was a prayer of sincerity. And that's what Jesus' prayer was. It's what it said in James chapter 5, verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. That's a paraphrase of the Living Bible. Notice the word earnest. Earnest. It comes from the heart. Well, following the disciple asking the question, Jesus then responds by giving a pattern of prayer in verses 2 through 4. Jesus said to them, When you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. What we call the Lord's Prayer falls into two parts. That's pretty obvious. The first part focuses upon God, and it's highlighted by the word, your. The second part focuses on our human needs, and it's highlighted by the words, our and us. And the focus of the whole, you could summarize the Lord's Prayer simply by this. The very point of the Lord's Prayer is that we need to focus on the mountain We need not to focus on the mountain, but we are to focus on the mountain mover. Because you see, Jesus didn't start with human needs. He started with God, our Father. And our focus is to be on that. And that makes it very difficult, isn't it, if you're in agony. But God says, don't focus on the mountain, but focus on the mountain mover. And I'll say a little bit about that later on. So the first part, the first fundamental is that we are to pray sincerely. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it speaks of Jesus, who offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. My friends, that's a heartfelt prayer. The second fundamental that Jesus says, that, or we discover that we are to practice and and uh, fulfilling Jesus' mandate is found in verses 5 through 8. In verses, and that, uh, that particular fundamental is that we are to pray boldly. Pray boldly. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me 
and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, and because he uh, give him the bread, because he is a friend, because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Pray boldly. You notice the last part of Jesus' parable there? It's because of the man's boldness. And so, when we come before the Lord boldly, it not only involves praying with confidence. The guy who's out asking for bread, he's knocking. And remember, it's night and the guy's in bed, so he's not just barely tapping on the door. He's knocking hard. And he's probably asking. It's night. It's not only praying with confidence, but it is praying with assurance. He seems to know that because he's a friend, this guy's a bosom friend, if he knocks and he knocks and he knocks, because he's a friend, he's going to come down and he's going to help him out. It's a great passage that talks about that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, We have a great high priest who has gone into heaven, and he is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are. But he did not sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. And there there we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. One of the incidents in the Bible when Jesus died on the cross, there was a miracle that took place. Every time I think of that miracle, it absolutely sends shivers up and down my spine. One of the great miracles at Jesus' death was that the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. You have to understand the significance about that. The high priest could uh, only go into that place, the most holy place where the Shekinah glory of Jesus dwelt, the presence of God. He could only go into that place once a year, and he had to go through a detailed operation of cleansing before he could do that. But it was so dangerous that his fellow priests in the holy place would tie a rope around his waist. And there were also bells on the bottom of the gown that the priest wore. So when he would go into the most holy place in the presence of God, as long as they heard the bells ring, they knew everything was okay. But if the priest messed up somewhere, they knew he was dead and they had to pull him out with a rope. Now you understand how dangerous it was to come into the presence of God, but when Jesus died upon that cross, the curtain was removed. And now you and I can come into the very Shekinah glory 
presence of the Lord because of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that grips my heart. So that when I come to God in prayer, I'm coming into the very presence of God where in the Old Testament they weren't able to do that. But it's through Jesus. And that's why I can come into his presence and I can pray boldly. I don't have to be afraid of his judgment because the blood of Jesus has taken my sin. So to follow Jesus' mandate to pray always, not lose heart, we discovered that it involves praying sincerely and it it involves praying boldly. The third mandate is found in verses 9 through 10. And that is, pray persistently. Pray persistently. Jesus goes on in his teaching, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. What Jesus talks about here when we pray persistently, it involves praying with a tenacious spirit. Note the words ask and seek and knock. They are what we call the present imperative in the Greek. The fact that they're present means that they are to be habitual. They are to be ongoing, not ending. And the fact that they're an imperative means that they're a command. So we are commanded to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. And the stacking of the words, plus being in the present imperative, gives them punch. Gives them punch. But praying persistently not only prays, praying with a, involves praying with a tenacious spirit, it involves praying with a believing spirit. Because you'll notice that the three words are followed by three promises. The words given, find, and opened. Those are promises from God. Someone has said that persistent praying is a hidden fire of the heart that believes God will answer and values what he gives. And please remember, as you pray persistently, that God God always gives what is best for us not necessarily always according to what we ask. That's demonstrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and it really hindered him. I have no idea what that thorn was, but it seems to be some physical problem he had. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And God told Paul, Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul didn't ask for grace. He prayed that the thorn would be taken away from him. And God says, listen, my grace is enough for you. Pray persistently. So Jesus so far has told us to pray. Pray sincerely. We discovered to pray sincerely, pray boldly, pray persistently. Three fundamentals to practice in achieving Jesus' mandate. To pray always 
and not lose heart. And that brings us to the fourth fundamental. And continuing on with Jesus' teaching here in verses 11 through 13, we discover that it is we, we are to pray expectantly. Jesus said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There is an expectation from earthly fathers according to Jesus in verses 11 through 13a. You see, our fathers give us good gifts, even though they were sinful. If I asked for a sandwich, my dad didn't go out and get a snake and give it to me. He only wanted what was best for me because he loved me. I was his son. And though he was sinful, he always gave me the best. Not necessarily always what I wanted. When I got to be 16, I wanted a new car. Yeah, I didn't get it. I got an old car. In fact, I got a, this is uh, about 1955. I got my grandpa's 1936 Chevy. But I had a car. I had a car. My dad gave always what was good. But not only do we have an expectation from our earthly father, but notice the expectation that we have from our heavenly father. In the last part of verse 13, it says, note the words, how much more? Key words. How much more? And notice the identification of the much more gift. It's not bread. It's not our daily needs. Although God gives those to us. But he gives us so, something that's so much better. You know what it is? Jesus says it's the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest gift that God could give us. Greatest gift. Why is the Holy Spirit a much more gift that he could get, he gives? Well, let scripture count the ways. These are just a few. When we're in such agony and the challenges are before us are so intense, we can just drop to our knees and utter groanings. Romans 8:26 says that the Holy Spirit takes those groanings and it brings them to our heavenly Father as prayer. 1 John 1, 7 says the Holy Spirit cleanses us. John 14, 26, it comforts us. John 16, 14, it interprets the scripture for us. Exodus 4, 10 through 13, when we don't know what to say, when we have an opportunity to testify, God gives us the words to say. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, he gives us godly character. Oh, there's a whole lot more. Those are just a few but probably the greatest thing, it gives us a supernatural power to walk as Jesus walked in a hostile environment. There's a story told, I ran across this story some time ago, of a man by the name of Joe. 
Joe worked a 4 to 12 shift at the factory. And after 12 o'clock, he, he would, his custom was, he walked home. His house wasn't all that far from home, so he decided he'd walk home, and he did that for a long time. And finally he realized, he, you know, he had to pass a cemetery when he was walking home, and he realized that if he cut across the cemetery, he could cut off some minutes from his walk home and get to bed a lot earlier, so he had a path through the cemetery. You know what's happening, doesn't he? Unbeknownst to Joe, there was this particular day they dug a grave, preparing for the next day funeral that was to take place. It was kind of a cloudy night that night, and Joe took his normal path, and he fell into the grave. And he clawed at the side, trying to get out of the grave, but to no avail, it was too deep. So Joe, being tired, he decided to lay at the bottom of the grave and wait till the next day, till someone would come and take him out, you know, pull him out of the grave. So he kind of fell asleep. And suddenly he heard this loud commotion. And he kind of opened his eyes, kind of sleeping. He's watching this person frantically clawing at the side, trying to get out of the grave. And finally Joe said, you'll never get out that way. Well, he did. You see, it's amazing what powers you have when you're frightened. And the same thing happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be amazed what you can do. Believe me, you can be amazed. I've been in counseling sessions where I was way in over my head. But I also knew that that person didn't have the money to go and see a psychiatrist charges about 250 bucks an hour or less. So I'd say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but it's in your hands. It's amazing what the Spirit of God would do in that person as we just talked and I shared the Word of God with them. A transformation would take place. And believe me, I don't have my master's degree in psychiatry or psychology. My master's degree is in divinity. But the Spirit of God does something. I can quote passages that I don't remember ever memorizing. I've shared with people how to find Christ and the heart of souls have been melted and I've seen them come to Jesus. My friend, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God could give us to give you and to give me. Pray expectantly. There's a great passage in Acts chapter 4. It talks about Peter and John was arrested, or they were arrested. And there are rulers and elders and teachers of the law and the high priest and his family were all gathered together and Peter and John were brought before them, and they were asked, by what name did you do this? And this was they healed a lame man. And in verse 8 it says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. Now understand, Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't trained in homiletics. He was a fisherman. 
But it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke, and it was so powerful. His message was so powerful that all these high rulers warned the two disciples, and they released them. And Peter and John went back to their fellow believers, and they reported all that had happened to them, and they prayed God, and they praised God, and they prayed And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and they spoke the word boldly just like they did before. Pray expectantly. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 that we must always pray and not lose heart. We have discovered from Jesus' teaching in Luke 11, 1 through 13, that it involves praying sincerely, praying boldly, praying persistently, and praying expectantly. Prayer has been accurately defined as invading the impossible and faith breathing. My fellow family here at Nova Community, soon we're going to be embarking on a building project. Most of you, if not all, have heard about it. It's going to involve the outside. It's going to involve a lot lot of things. But I want to tell you, I build and build in building programs. We're embarking on something that is large. And I'll guarantee you, we're invading what seems impossible from a human standpoint. But you see, we believe that it's God's will, that that kind of thing. A lot of prayer has already gone into it. A lot of discussion has already going into, gone into it. And we're going to do it. Prayer is invading the impossible. But as you pray, hang in there. It's not going to happen overnight. It's period of time that's going to go by. Don't stop praying. But don't just pray as a matter of habit. Praying habitually is great, but pray from the heart because you're invading the impossible. Do some faith praying. I had the joy of this year going back to my First Church, because they were celebrating their 50-year anniversary. Yeah, I'm kind of an old guy. (laughs) But they celebrated their 50th anniversary. And I got to tell you, one of the strange experiences with my, by the way, the reason I'm telling this story, Pastor Dave said that I had to tell a Nebraska story. So here's my Nebraska story. It's a little city called, in, in Nebraska called Ord, right in the center of Nebraska. But anyhow, the strange experience I had back there, and it was exciting too, was that kids who were in our youth group when we were ministering there are now grandparents. And they introduced me to their grandkids. <laughs> That's a strange, strange feeling. Because I had not seen these people since I left. But anyhow... We first came there, it was my first church, and it was the church's first pastor, brand new. They had just formed. Very few people. We rented a house that was an abandoned mortuary. We had to go in and fumigate it because it still smelled of formaldehyde. 
but it was ideal because it had a chapel and it cost us 75 bucks a month. It was wonderful. My son's classroom was in their preparation room. (laughs) Opening exercises were in the casket room. It was a great experience, but God blessed. And the church grew. In fact, we outgrew it. And we knew we were going to have to build. We didn't want to rent. We knew we were going to have to build. And by the way, I'm driving a school bus every day for six hours to supplement my income in order to support my family because the church didn't have enough money. We had no money. We had no money. One day, so we started praying. One day, one of the young men who had just come to know the Lord not too long before that, he came to me and he says, Pastor Ron, he says, let's go out and talk to my dad. He said, I found out he's got a choice piece of property out there that he's planning to sell. Let's go out and see if he will donate a piece of that property to the church. And I said, oh, Denny, I don't think I want to go out to see your dad because I know I've heard of his reputation. He's thrown at least one pastor off his property, and maybe more. He has a reputation of not liking ministers. Now nah, he says, let's go out and talk to him. He says, okay, if we, if we, first of all, we're going to pray. So we did. Went out and talked to his dad, and Danny presented it to him, the proposal. His dad looked down for a moment, and he said in his good Nebraska slang, Well, son, he said, you know, he said a church would look good on that corner. So I'll tell you what, he said, go out and you form, got up the papers, and he said, I'll sign it. He said, I'll donate a piece of that property to you, to the church. So we all excited, you know, we put up our sign. Future home of the Evangelical Free Church of Ord. I'm still driving a bus. In fact, there on occasion, the lights would get turned off because we didn't have the money to pay the bill. But we got the sign up, and we got property. And as people began to know it, suddenly the money started pouring in. And it took some time. And my friends, i got to tell you, the building went up. It's a building that they had the 50-year anniversary in. But you know something? And we didn't have very much money that we had to borrow towards the building. But you know something? The miracle wasn't in the establishment of the building. We got money from the craziest sources. But it wasn't, that wasn't the miracle. You know what the miracle was? The contractor came to know Jesus through the process. His wife came to know the contractor, came to know Jesus. The contractor's son came to know Jesus. His wife came to know Jesus. His kids came to know Jesus. And the owner and his wife of the wildest bar in town came to know Jesus and started worshiping at the church. It was incredible. And I got to tell you, in a small community, that makes an impact. You see, the purpose of putting up a building isn't so that we look great and look successful. The purpose is reaching our community for Jesus. And the best way, some of the best ways that we can do that 
It's just part of something. But it's invading the impossible. But you see, it has to do, it begins with power praying like Jesus taught us here. If you don't remember anything at all of the message this morning, my friends, please keep this in mind. That faith-breathing prayer does not lose heart because it keeps its focus on the mountain mover, not the mountain. That goes not only for praying in our building project, but it goes with praying whatever you challenge that you're facing in your personal life. Keep your eyes not on the mountain, and the mountain might be high, might be Mount Everest, but keep your eyes on the mountain mover because he's bigger. He's bigger. Have the attitude of King Jehoshaphat in his prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you.